0: Welcome to another edition of Divorce Force Podcast. And I'm very excited to introduce the next guest. She is currently the Associate Athletic Director for Student Athlete Experience at Oakland University. Please welcome Ashley Stone, everybody. Woo, woo.
1: I love it. Thanks, Adam. Yes.
0: I'm excited to have you on, and you have a unique background in college athletics not, you know, helping athletes, you know, progress their careers, not just on the field, but off the field. So I know we'll get into that uh, for sure, but I always like to start off, where did it begin for you, whether it was being an athlete yourself or going to sporting events at a young age?
1: Yeah, I love it. So um, growing up, I had two older siblings and whenever we could, we were always going to be involved in sport, but really my I think the seed was planted for me working in sports, whether it was professional sports, which I've had a, a brief stint or even college sports was when I actually attended my first professional basketball game my junior year of high school. Uh, so I was born and raised in Nebraska, no professional <laughs> sports teams there, I think as, as you and probably many of the listeners are familiar. And so I traveled to Chicago uh, for a weekend with my brother who was living and working there at the time and just had an amazing experience. Um, probably the best athletic experience in my life so far, right? Sports experience where anything that you could have wished happened during the game happened. Um, so there (laughs) was tons of action during the timeouts. They had parachutes falling from the ceiling. I think it was between one of the quarters that kind of had a a t-shirt at the bottom. And I've never been one to, you know, win some of the prizes that they throw out into the crowd. And, and sure enough, one of those parachutes wafted down into my hands. And so, oh I was my gut. god, <laughs> uh, it was an amazing experience. And so I, I left that saying, "My brother's name is Nick." So I was like, Nick, you know, I know exactly what I want to do. I want to go to college for sport management, and I essentially want to become, at some point, the director of marketing and community affairs for Chicago Bulls. And so my path did not take that route. Um, but really, that's what initially got me interested in going to school for sport management and pursuing sports as a profession.
0: Yeah. I love that. And you mentioned the key word there experience. I mean, I think, you know, whether we play sports at a young age, uh, become a fan, you know, we want to create that experience, all of us in sports, uh, whether we have a sports background or not to create that experience for future generations. Right.
1: hundred percent. I mean, I, I think if you, Think back to some of your, you know, favorite memories or some things that are hobbies where, you know, for athletics, you know, what's your earliest, your most meaningful athletic memory, right? People can talk about that instantly. Or if you hear the Olympic theme song, you can probably, you know, think back to your favorite Olympic experience, your favorite Olympic movies. And so I love how, you know, one thing, whether it's a sport, whether it's a song can take you flooding back to so many amazing memories and really put you in the exact place where your memory lives. So for me, you know, I'm mid-30s, so I'm going back 20, or excuse me, um would be, yeah, 20 years essentially going back to when <laughs> I was 15 at that game. And to be able to truly see the experience that he and I still had to this day, I think something special that sports creates.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. And so you had this idea, obviously, as young professionals, we all had this idea and this opportunity of like, hey, we want to work in sports. So talk about how you were able to formulate the strategy to make that a reality because sometimes it, you know, it's not always easy to carve that path, but how were you able to strategize and kind of navigate that way into the sports business aspect?
1: Yeah, I think one of the best things I did, right, is, is you just ask questions of people who know how to get there. And so I didn't know anyone who worked in college sports. I didn't know anyone who worked in professional sports but I knew, you know, my next step after high school was going to be college. And I knew that these things called internships existed, right? Where you essentially get a brief experience or look into a certain field or a certain job. And so I went to Wichita State University, which is in Kansas for my undergrad, because they had one of, um, a, they had an accredited sport management program and they also had an amazing internship program. And so I went and I asked the experts, um, and it was the people there at Wichita state who connected me to places. I think it was a WorkinSports.com might've been uh, one of the nice. search engines that I used. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of other places to look for internships, but essentially by going to Wichita state, I was able to do internships with the PGA. Uh, I did an internship with a sports commission. I worked with USA volleyball. I helped uh, run a couple NBA exhibition games. So it was truly me asking the experts like, Hey, this is the job I want to have. I want to work in professional sports. How do I get there? And it was really in following the blueprint um, and really listening to their advice through the interview process, their advice on my cover letter, even their advice and in, in being able to build my resume with muscle um, in applying for those positions.
0: Yeah, and you talk about that constant learner approach. It's so, I mean, in today's world where you know the world is constantly changing, and you don't stop like. You every you know the greatest day is like you get to graduation whether it's high school or even college and you're like yes i made it this far but yep. you always are continuing to learn and that's where you really take the ball by the horns and can really make an impact in your career especially early right
1: yeah i mean a hundred percent i have been blessed to have so many amazing mentors and these may not be formal mentors where you know you go and ask someone and i say hey adam You know, I love, you know, I love your qual like I love the qualities about you. I love your story. I love how you invest in others. Like, will you mentor me? A lot of my mentors didn't come from that process. Um, they came just through informal conversations and really people who I value their perspective. Um, it's in reading, you know, books and, and being able to read articles about sports that have really, I think, helped um elevate and even um increase kind of the trajectory of where my career has gone.
0: For sure. And you talk about having mentors, um, and also a support system. How vital is it, especially for college students to not only seek mentors, but just have that understanding that it's important to have at least one person in your corner that you can go to for that advice and that professional advice to really kind of navigate where you want to head and kind of guide you in that way?
1: Yeah, that's a, a great question. So I I mean, the value I place on mentors is substantial. Um, You know, typically when you're going through college or even through high school, your parents or your guardians may actually have some pretty spot on advice, Um, but maybe just because of where we are in life, you know, we don't necessarily want to listen to some of our parents' advice. And so (laughs) it's great to, you know, have those mentors and have them say, you know, hey, you know, you enjoy working in professional sports, but have you thought about this avenue? Or, hey, Ashley, you know, have you... You know, I, I, I want to introduce you to one of my friends. Um, and so it's really the connections that have, again, led me to where I am. But my mentors have advocated for me. They have helped me, I think, realize some of my blind spots. They have helped me, you know, see strengths in myself that I necessarily didn't perceive as strengths. And even, you know, at the end of the day, if you've had a bad day, there's some people, you know, that you can just call and they instantly even just picking up the phone and they may say, hey, Adam, how are you doing? just by hearing their voice or even the tone of their voice, you know, when they say that to me, it's instantly like I am provided a warm hug that says, you know what, Ash, today may not have been a good day, but we know that you can do it, you know, keep your head up, keep pushing. And so uh, the mentors that I've been blessed to have in my life, I owe them a lot of who I am um, and who I've become.
0: Yeah, for sure. So you, Graduate from Wichita State, which is a great accomplishment. Get that four year degree under your belt, and then you continue your education at Nebraska, get a master's degree in educational administration. What was your thinking behind that to continue your education and to pursue a master's degree?
1: Yeah, uh, great question. I know typically a lot of the college students that I've worked with, um, and I've worked both. Um, at colleges on the student affairs side, and then I've also worked you know, in colleges the past you know five years with student athletes. And so what's unique is that a lot of students, whether you're a student athlete or not, get to being a year out or maybe a semester out from graduation, and you're not ready to enter the real world. And so <laughs> a lot of students are like, I'm just gonna go get my master's right away. And what was interesting is I actually took two years off um, because I wanted to make sure that the master's degree I got, I wanted to make sure that it was something I wanted as opposed to almost delaying right, the real world. And so I had some mentors who said, you know, Ash, you've enjoyed working in professional sports. They may not fill your cup as much as you want. You know, if you could do anything for the rest of your life, what would it be? And I said, I would love to be a professional encourager. And they're like, that's interesting. Have you thought of working in student affairs? And so I actually went to back to my alma mater and I was an admissions rep for them for two years. And so um, through that process, like I knew I wanted to make a difference in the lives of students on college campuses be that mentor and kind of be that sound voice for them when you know their parents or guardians weren't there when they had to make some pivotal decisions in their life. And so it was through those two years being a recruiter, um, academic recruiter, missions recruiter, that I knew I wanted to go into the student affairs route. So I went to Nebraska, did that student affairs program and Adam, I never could have even planned this if I was you know <laughs> controlling every aspect of my life, but essentially I fell back into sports because my future and I I feel like my life's calling found me when I reached out to Nebraska athletic department and said, Hey, I would love to volunteer with you guys. And I volunteered for them both in academics and then student athlete development before they came back and said, Hey, you know, we have a position for you. We want to hire you on.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And, and that's really amazing to just know you have this vision and Talk about the focus, because I feel like it's, you have to be focused and, like, leave the distraction out the door. I mean, it's easier said than done, of course, and I'm sure you've had those moments, but talk about just being able to stay grounded and focused, no matter what will you had you just were laser focused in that and knew that there was going to be rewards no matter what you were doing.
1: Yeah, so I think part of my focus and discipline just come from uh, the family that I was raised in, but I've always been focused on setting goals. And for those who don't know, it's like, when you set a goal, whether it's a short-term or long-term goal, the more times that you look at it, right. The more that you are, you know, seeing that goal, you're internalizing it, the more focused you're going to be to achieve that. And so in college, I set semester goals, years goal, like year goals every single year. And I was able to accomplish every single one of those, some of which I even thought were outside of my reach. But I think when you have a goal and you have a calling in life and you know that that is 100% what you were, you know, put on this earth to do. For me, that focus was natural. Um, I think there were definitely times, you know, that I maybe wanted to do other things or, you know, not have been as focused or disciplined. Um, but to your point, it's like when you are and that pays off. You look back at, at your experience and you're like, you know, that's the reason I studied more, or this is the reason I did this, or this is the reason I did that. And lo and behold, by keeping your head down, doing the right thing, staying focused, amazing doors open for you doors that you wouldn't even think are possible
0: yeah for sure and and talk about the time management because it's so important to have those time management skills whether you're uh, doing your day-to-day or even taking on more projects so what are some strategies you utilize in, in those early roles or even now to be a good time management individual
1: yeah. Good question. And, and, and my response may see, seem counterintuitive to you and maybe even some other people, uh, but in college, I took anywhere from 15 to 17 credit hours a semester. Wow! I, I worked 30 hours as a uh, student on campus and I was involved in a lot of different leadership organizations. I was involved in a sorority, uh, what uh, the university called student ambassador society. And I was also involved in some sport management organizations, volunteered a lot. So I'm not sharing that to say, you know, here's all the things I did. I'm sharing it to to help focus on my story uh, with time management. So honestly, Adam, I don't think had I not been that busy, busy, I don't think I would have been great at time management. Um, I think it's similar to what our college student athletes face where they have so much on their plate that honestly, if they do not set aside time for everything, they aren't going to get everything done where I found if the opposite, like even now, uh, if I have a weekend free you know, sometimes I'm paralyzed. I'm like, wow, I have so much time. I don't know what to do, but in having so much, it's like, okay, I know I have to go to class during these times. I work at this time. I have a sorority meeting at this time. I have intramurals here. That means I can study at these different pockets. So I honestly think because of being, you know, what some people would consider over-programmed, I honestly think that helped me be a good time manager.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. I mean, I was definitely involved when I was at Stevens University in Maryland. I was like involved. I was there. I yeah. would stay on campus. Like I commuted, but I would be there all the time because if I wasn't in class, I was studying or I was involved in clubs and really I could have lived there. Uh, but the only thing I did was come home, drive, go to sleep in my own bed. And I was there the next morning at for 9
1: a.m. class. And yeah, so I can, totally wait,
0: sometimes it's better to be more
1: busy than not, right? I mean, hundred percent, I'm sure at some point folks can get burnt out that way, but the you know the wash rinse repeat for four straight years in college, you know, two more years in grad school, um, I mean, that was the right formula that I needed, I think, to make me successful.
0: For sure. And you know continuing your education, it's always an important step. What do you think you know getting your master's and getting that graduate degree, what do you think you gained out of that, that necessarily you didn't get, uh, you know, finishing up and getting your four-year degree?
1: Um, for me, and I'm, I'm sure the professors I've had may not enjoy me, you know, saying this if they were ever to hear this, <laughs> but what's interesting, I was talking to some, you know, colleagues at work and you know, some even mentors about this uh, the past two weeks is, I think back to not only my master's and, you know, graduate program, but also undergraduate and I don't know if I, you know, recall much of the information that we learned, but what I do recall, you know, is the great relationships that I made with people in the classes, the interpersonal skills that I gained through those experiences and the connections that I still have today. Um, I think one thing that's different a little bit about my master's program is that in educational administration, there are a lot of theories that you learn. And so there's different student development theories that you learn. And one of my uh, favorite researchers, her name is Nancy Schlossberg. She's actually still alive. She's retired, but she had two different theories. And when I got to my master's program and, you know, at least I heard about research, I heard about theories. I kind of thought they were bogus. I guess I never believed in research until I saw it firsthand and got to experience. Um, But she's a theory. And basically it's called marginality and mattering. Um, And I really like the mattering part because it rings true to, I think, who I am and what I try to bring to the field. And that is uh, mattering values people for who they are and the things they do not for who they are not or the things that they don't do. And so I think that's really important in, you know, caring about people and investing in people and, and treating, you know, everyone fairly and and really focusing on again who they are, what they bring to the table as opposed to maybe who you think they should be. And so I would say, you know, in addition to continuing to build out a skill set, make amazing connections, my master's program was truly focused, I would say, on things that I am using in my everyday life now where my undergraduate still provided me skills I need, um, yet I retained much more. And I think I valued my graduate degree more than the classes I took in undergrad.
0: For sure, for sure. That uh, focus on, on theory and that more focused approach is definitely important, uh, for sure. And I love that. And one thing I want to touch on is one of the roles you had at the University of Nebraska- was director of post eligibility and this is really phenomenal because you worked with student athletes post eligibility and that's a very important role because like you said you mentioned earlier you're in the if you're at a university in college when the lifespan of a college athlete is so short you're there to help somebody after their eligibility. So talk about that role and what you were able to achieve in that position.
1: Yeah, so that role was unique. And actually when I joined the Nebraska Athletic Department, I joined the department to create that specific program. And so essentially what it did and it didn't exist anywhere else and I'm not <laughs> sure it you know it, it does yet. Um, but essentially, you know, you hit the nail on the head where student athletes come to college and they really don't have time to participate in internships. They don't have time to participate in study abroad experiences. And so what this program did was give our student athletes at Nebraska, if they met certain criteria, which included graduating with their undergraduate lettering in their sport and exhausting eligibility, it provided them a $7,500 scholarship to use for a semester long experience. So that could be studying abroad in Spain or studying abroad in Australia. It could be reaching out to a company you've always wanted to work for, let's say the Kansas city chiefs and saying, Hey, Hey, I can do an unpaid internship for you all. Like, I would love to work for you. Will you give me an opportunity? What's awesome is a lot of, you know, student athletes who reached out to these different companies, they said, yeah, we'll take you on. Um, A lot of those companies hired those student athletes after that experience, or even those who decided to use the money for graduate school or medical school, $7,500, regardless of what you're applying it to, goes a long way. And so um, in that program, in the three years that I was there, we were able to, Um, award I believe it was just over a million dollars in aid to about 140 participants and what I love is that those 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 experiences they span six continents 14 countries and 18 states Um, so through that to once their experiences were over the participants had a 98 percent full-time job placement rate and then 26 of the participants or those who use the funds were actually first generation college graduates so you know they weren't only the first in their family to graduate from college. They were, you know, potentially the first in their family to go to graduate school to do a study abroad experience to do an internship that was specifically crafted for what they wanted to do in the future. So it was a a pretty cool experience. Um, You know, I felt a little bit like Willy Wonk as I was making people's dreams come (laughs) true, left and right by just, you know, providing some inspiration and providing them help on where to find different opportunities and coaching them up, you know, and how to have the conversations with, different companies, you know, interview prep, helping them with resumes, et cetera. So that probably has been the most rewarding experience that I've had from the different jobs um, that I've held so far.
0: For sure, and I love that. And you talk about that, uh, You, get, it's, can, I see a trend here. It's about creating those experiences, life, you know, lifetime memories and, you know, talk about what do you see, you know, because obviously this was a program that you created, you crafted and brought in to the University of Nebraska. So how come you think that there aren't other programs like this or why other universities may not have the bandwidth to do something like this?
1: That's another good question. Uh, you definitely have some some good ones coming. Away. So first, I want to back up <laughs> a little bit. So um, there were some folks inside of Nebraska athletics who saw the opportunity with some legislation that had changed at the NCAA to be able to create something like this. And so I definitely cannot take the credit for the idea behind it. Um, I was definitely the power to kind of help get it going. Um, And so I think the main reason that other schools haven't been able to copy it. And sure enough, when the program, program was created, you know, I got a lot of calls from other people saying, you know, Ash, you know, we heard about this program. What are you doing? How are you doing it? And really, I think the main question came down to how are you funding this experience And at the beginning of the call, right, we had talked about how Nebraska doesn't have any professional sports teams. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of attention is focused on the University of Nebraska and the Cornhuskers. And so, you know, the million plus dollars that was given out when I was there and the money since that has come directly from the donors to say, Hey, we're investing in Nebraska athletics. We want to invest this money in student athletes. And so, as you know, right, you can't pay student athletes when they're in school. Some name, image, and likeness has changed that. But this was an opportunity for us to be able to use donor dollars who said we want to invest in these student athletes, but be able to use it in a way where we weren't going to get in trouble. So that's really where that post eligibility comes into play where, right, the students were no longer undergraduates. They had fully mm-hmm. exhausted their eligibility. And, and this is really icing on top of the cake for them. So honestly, without the you know idea of this program, without that continued support of donors who say we love this program, we want to invest, it, invest in it, we'll continue to fund it think that's a primary reason why other schools, um, you know, weren't able or haven't been able to really copy what Nebraska has been doing.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, and do you see that, you know, coming to fruition? I mean, it's amazing. It's an amazing program and aspect of a university and actually program itself. Do you think that more universities could adopt something like that uh, for their student athletes?
1: Yeah, I I think they could. Um, And so if you've been following kind of the name, image, and likeness, right, you have this Alston Mm -hmm. case. And so you essentially are are being able to provide academic incentives or finances to students above and beyond what they may already receive through the cost of attendance stipend. And so in short, the NCAA is permitting if, you know, the institutions have the funds to provide their student athletes basically a $6,000 stipend every single year. Uh, It's a little underneath $6,000, but I see that potentially as a way, depending on how schools want to use it. Um, This money isn't coming from the NCA. This is money that schools have to find um, within their own pockets or from their donors. But I think that's a way to potentially, you know, hold someone's funds until they graduate. And then at that point, you know, say, you know, hey, Adam, here's your essentially $24,000. You know, we encourage you to use part of it for a study abroad experience since you didn't get to do that in college. Or we encourage you to, you know, use this money to help pay for, your lodging and transportation to do an internship with a company that you want to work for someday. So I think there are elements where schools can adopt it. It'll just be interesting to see, you know, what the school's priorities are um, through uh, some of the legislation that has recently passed.
0: Yeah, of course. And you bring up the name image and likeness aspect. Uh, Things are definitely getting better for the student athlete, uh, but what issues or what aspects, whether that's academically or even, you know, As far as the sports aspect, what do you see some of what are the challenges that student athletes face among uh, college athletics?
1: Yeah, I think um, one of the big ones is time management and not in the sense that students don't know how to manage their time. But I think in the sense that, you know, student athletes are required to do a lot. Um, Right. You have nutrition meetings, strength and conditioning meetings, sports medicine or athletic training where you have rehab and prehab. Um, You're meeting with a sports psychologist. You may have academic meetings and meetings with your learning specialist. You may have required meetings for student athlete development where they're working with you on what life looks like after sports. But in those meetings too, you know, you're, you're also practicing, you're going to class. Um, You should be actually spending time to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, (laughs) but you also need time to socialize, right? You need time to pay your bills. And so um, I feel like our student athletes can be over-programmed where, Again, time management isn't the issue, but I think time for them to rest and replenish their system um, is an issue. And, I, you know, you've seen that, too, with mental health concerns that come out. Um, and so we know that across the board, our student athletes have experienced more stress and higher levels of anxiety um, since the pandemic, as they did before. And those numbers only continue to grow. Um, one thing that's interesting, too, and, and we work very closely with our counseling center on campus but for the, the age population of students on campus, this includes students and student athletes that this population that are in college, you typically have on average 1,100 suicides per year, right? Or 1,100 individuals who complete suicide mm-hmm. per year. And if you've been following college athletics, we had a handful, probably about five female student athletes from you know the East Coast to the West Coast who committed or completed suicide this semester. And so it's devastating. And I think that's uh, the main thing that, the NCAA and each conference and each institution is going to continue to focus on is, you know, how can we continue to reduce the stigma of mental health concerns of stress, anxiety, depression, feeling burnout? Like, how can we help our student athletes cope um, through these times when maybe they're putting unnecessary stress or expectations on themselves? And so we have, you know, a great counselor and psychologist who works with our team. Um, I know other schools have, you know, teams as well, but I think that's going to be one of the most pressing issues is you know, how can we help our student athletes cope with everything they're facing so you know, we not only get to welcome them in as freshmen, we get to congratulate them as they're graduating our universities, but also in you know, 5, 10, 20 years, we're able to welcome them back as alums um, and make sure they're still with us and understand the value they have, and, and so that, um, I think, weighs heavy on a lot of administrators' hearts.
0: For sure. You talk about the mental health aspect and how important is that? Because obviously, you know, especially with the athletes, they're going in so many directions, as mentioned previously, with classes and meetings and nutrition. And there's so much going on. And behind the scenes, what then that's off the field that, you know, talk about how important is that and continuous, continuous reduce the stigma efforts that need to be placed at the college athletic level.
1: Yeah. I mean, my guess is you probably experienced some stress too. And I've experienced stress and you know that, you know, when you have stress and anxiety, you may not be eating correctly. You Mm -hmm. may not be getting enough hydration. We know that, you know, stress and as well as poor nutrition, poor hydration, that's not going to lead to great sleep. And a combination of those things are not going to lead to a healthy athlete. So in strength and condition, you aren't going to be able to you know, give the best to yourself. Um, It could even cause injuries. And so, you know, the clearer that we can see, the clearer that we can think, the less stress, the less anxiety we have, the better our mental health is, the better we are in all areas of life, whether that's through the academics, through the athletics, or just even being a human being. And so mental health, right, our thoughts, you know, everything that we think rolls into what we believe, what we believe rolls into, you know, the things that we're saying, the things that we're doing, our output. And so, mental health is vital, you know, in in being able to talk about our struggles, because if you're keeping those things built up, you're going to have more stress where if I go to you and I say, you know, Adam, how are you doing? And you seem like everything's fine. And you say, Hey, Ash, how are you doing? And if I, if I, you know, show a little bit of vulnerability and say, you know, Adam, I'm going to lower my barrier. Like, you know, I'm struggling. And by I think administrators or other students saying those things, it gives permission for other people to start talking about mental health. So I think it's not only, you know, having those conversations and asking people how they're doing, but even people like me, myself, being able and willing to lower some of those barriers so students can see what's going on in my life too. So I think it's just a level of, you know, awareness and all of us working together to not only reduce the stigma, but everyone being willing to talk about the struggles in our life. Cause you know, I don't know if there's anyone who I've ever met or come across, right. Who hasn't had a bad day, and that that can take numerous you know shapes and forms.
0: Of course, of course, you mentioned that, and I love that. And what do you think you know you mentioned that open communication and uh, to kind of lower the barrier, why do you think some student athletes or some students struggle with that or seem to maybe not be as open or even talk about some of their stress levels that they, if they are having you know, a rough time or even, strongly with mental health?
1: I think there could be various factors. Um, so one thing I'll, I'll or some of my own you know, personal experiences, I've been fortunate to not struggle with mental health. Um, but I was raised in a family who, who didn't either. But one thing that we were taught is when we were faced with adversity, you just continue to plow through it. And so I share that not as the right, you know, tool to get through struggles. Um, but basically I think if, you know, any of us kids in my family, have said like hey i'm struggling with this i'm stressed i'm anxious you know i feel like i'm depressed you know i don't think our parents would have believed us or they would have said just figure out a way to get through it and so by one person saying that right it almost makes you feel as if you can't talk about it with others and so that may be one thing is that you know they tried to open up to people in their family before the the folks who they think would be most trusting and willing to talk to them and maybe you know they've shut them down or you may have unrealistic stories and expectations that you place on yourself brene brown talks about it all the time where you know what's reality versus what is a story that we're telling us in our heads so if i'm a starting pitcher and my parents are proud of me and my parents say all the time you know you're doing such a great job pitching you know you're getting these awards every single week you're going to be you know most valuable pitcher in the league etc i may place some unrealistic expectations on myself where it's like i have to do like i have to be the best i have to hit the strike zone i have to hit a no like you know get a no hitter all these different things where it's just stress that people are placing on themselves that I think can cause even more heightened um, mental health concerns and issues. So I think there are various factors to the reasons why baby people open up, why they don't open up. Um, you know, the various levels of I guess stress, anxiety, etc. That they may feel.
0: Yeah, for sure. And what are some resources you know that your organization provides at Oakland University? At Oakland University where it's an open dialogue and student athletes or students can come and utilize that. Uh, Is there anything, any programs that you guys offer uh, assistance with
1: that? We do. And I'm so glad you asked that question because what I'm going to share probably services to that other schools um, provide. And so we have an amazing sports psychologist. His name is Seth Swery, and he does a great job of going to practices so students can see who he is and what we know too, is that typically someone's not gonna reach out to someone they don't know. Someone's typically not going to make a cold call to the counseling center on campus and say, hey, I need to make an appointment. Typically it comes through confiding in someone you know, they may refer you to someone that's through that trust that you're able to do things. So we do have um, Seth Suery is our, our, our mental health counselor and sports psychologist. We have um, a mental health counseling uh, practitioner group on campus. We have some folks who are located in campus RecWell who can also serve in those capacities. And also through the healthcare system that we work with, uh, we are able to access a clinical psychologist about eight additional hours per week. And so there are numerous folks that people can go to. But one thing I want to draw attention to, and it's shout out to our campus RecWell department, is the Green Bandana Project. And this is something our student-athletes have also gotten behind. It's a kind of a project that our student-athlete advisory committee has champion. And essentially, if you go online and you Google the green bandana project, what it is, is that it is an awareness campaign to draw awareness to mental health, help reduce the stigma, but also you get this awesome lime green bandana, you can put it on your backpack, you can put it in your office, you can put it in your locker, but essentially it's, it's showing other people that you are a safe person to talk to about mental health, and that you can be a champion, you can be an advocate, you can listen to them. And so it's really cool to see the outward display You know, two of saying, hey, you know, I may struggle with mental health. I'm also willing to talk about it and just being able to create a support system that people may not even know about if you don't know what that green bandana project is. So I'm definitely very proud of our staff, proud of our student athletes for supporting and championing that cause. Um, But regardless, I think of how many, you know, resources are available. The main thing is, you know, are our student athletes, are the students on campus going to access those resources Um, And we really hope they do. We provide a lot of information to them and reminders on where they can. I think that's the biggest hurdle is there are a lot of resources out there, you know, but it's on that student to actually take the step to be able to access them.
0: Of course, that's so huge. And I love that initiative. And um, what is the best way to get a green bandana? Do do I have to, uh, am I have to go online and uh, is there like a a donation or uh, purchase
1: for it? That's a great question. So I can only speak to what we do at Oakland. I would guess if you Google, you know, Green Bandana Project, there's probably a national governing organization. Essentially at Oakland, uh, you know, you Google the Green Bandana Project. It's coordinated through our campus uh, rec and wellness center. You type in your name, you type in your email address, you tell them if you want to pick it up in person or if you want it mailed to you and they will get you that green bandana. So it's essentially acknowledging uh, what the green bandana represents and that you yourself will serve as a mental advocate in um, champion.
0: Yeah, it's really amazing. I was a part of uh, the peer educators on campus for my wellness center, so okay. I always love that stuff. And always helping others is uh, one of my core values, and is really something that I take to heart. And always willing to help those who may not, you know, have that mentor or you know have an avenue to listen. Always willing to help in that way.
1: <laughs> That's awesome.
0: Yeah, I love it. And talk about, you know, the aspect of college athletics. And I know we've talked a lot about it, but I think the uniqueness of not just working with one sport or one team, you have the ability to work across a variety of sports. So how exciting is that to be able to have an impact across the whole entire university in the college athletic space?
1: It's awesome. Um, when I was talking before and, you know, not knowing if I want to stay in professional sports and a mentor saying, you know, Ash, if you could do anything for the rest of your life, what would you do? But I said, <laughs> I got to be a professional encourager. And essentially I'm getting to pay, mm-hmm. you know, I'm getting paid to do that. And so we have about 350 student athletes at Oakland uh, representing 19 different sports, including esports. Um, and so being able to interact with all the students through what I do within leadership development and career development, And community service is awesome because, you know, I hold what some people would consider a fancy title, right? So if you, if you hear athletic director, if you hear associate athletic director, you know, some people may think that you're unapproachable. Some people may think that you're just a suit, that you're just a fancy title. And so I love being able to interact with students in that way because they're able to see that, yes, you know, I may have a fancy title and yes, I may dress differently when I come to work, but at the end of the day, like I'm a human being. And it's great to be able to build relationships with students, to talk about their family members, to talk about their pets, to talk about, you know, movies that are popular that I have not seen that student athletes are like, oh, you need to go see these movies and, you know, all these different things. And so what I really like, and I kind of try to view each student as a cousin or uh, potentially like a son or daughter and being able to have that heartfelt relationship with them where, you know, they may not share my same last name but I'm going to love on them and I'm going to care about them as much as I would, you know, anyone who's related to me. So it's awesome to be able to work with so many different sports. Uh, You have a lot of students who teach you about sports that you may not know a lot about. Um, So growing up, I played soccer, basketball, softball. Um, I never played tennis. And so even being able to, you know, watch our tennis student athletes and they show you, you know, Hey, here's how you do a backhand. Here's how you do a forehand, being able to learn the lingo, being able to learn, you know, what attracted <laughs> them to their sport, um, right? Because I wasn't attracted to those specific sports. It's really cool just to, you know, see how one sport can make them come to life, just like talking about my job or about reading books or all these other hobbies I have, you know, make me come to life.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and we like to say, especially in college athletics, there is no off season in sports, right?
1: <laughs> Adam, that's that's very true. I think one of the most intriguing questions that staff, you know, have the opportunity to answer during a fall break, Thanksgiving break, a winter break, a spring break, even summer break is a lot of folks will say, Hey, you know, what are you doing for summer break or what are you doing for winter break? And um, you kind of chuckle internally, but you say, you know what, working in sports, we really don't have an off season. Um, And so um, that that's kind of always a running joke within athletics.
0: Yeah, I know because, you know, I'm in the youth space and, you know, our our volleyball season is getting ready to finish up, but we're going to be getting ready for cheer and dance here uh, in a couple weeks and they don't even have events until yeah. late November, early December. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's like, yeah. That's true.
0: <laughs> so I love that and just talk, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, the focus and the passion. So you know, where do you find the balance? Cause we all want, you know, that work-life balance, if you will, I'm doing air quotes, <laughs> <laughs> but where do you find that balance to kind of take a step back and, and breathe a little bit when you're not so busy?
1: <laughs> yeah. So work-life balance is definitely, you know, an interesting concept and some folks that I've worked with, and I am part of a couple of different sport organizations, one of which is women leaders in college sports. And one of their fearless leaders says, you know, work-life integration. And so it's never going to be a balance. It's going to be, you know, what is your priority and, you know, how can you focus your time and energy where it needs to be and and be in the present. And so I typically know when I'm getting a little bit burnout, this past November was one of those times. So served as a volleyball sport administrator as well as softball sport administrator at that time. And, For me it's important to go to practices once a week it's important to be at all their home competitions and i also travel to uh some of their away competitions and so for me at that point volleyball season was wrapping up basketball was starting and for me it's also important to show support to other sports and so i was going to some basketball games on the weekends um at night uh, but also want to engage with our donors and those are some you know things that aren't a requirement of my job description but things i think i need to do and so i share that example because when that happens, I really focus on, okay, what are, what are truly my job duties? What are things and, you know, ways that I I demonstrate my commitment to the job and just cut some of those things out when I'm feeling a little bit fried at both ends. Um, one thing I've recently done is on the weekends, I try to not even look at my phone. So I completely try to unplug from social media, from emails. If there's something urgent, you know, folks know to call me, but that has helped me really, I think, focus on being present. Um, in my life outside of work and being able to, um, enjoy, you know, the term rest, uh, Adam, I also say rest in air quotes, cause I'm not too great at, at <laughs> you know, sitting still. I always like to have a lot of projects, but I think I've definitely learned, um, you know, the times in life where I can take a break, the times when I need to push a little bit harder, knowing that there will be some rest at the end of the end of the tunnel. But at the end of the day, I haven't been great at it. Um, I definitely need to get better. And if anyone has any tricks, um, you know, definitely send them my way.
0: (laughs) I love it, I love it. Uh, So just to wrap things up here, you know, where do you see the future of college athletics? And what are you most excited about for this upcoming academic year?
1: So the future of college athletics is intriguing. Um, specifically, because there's a lot of changes right now at the NCA level and uh, what the transformation committee is working on, and so there's going to be some stuff unfolding about right name, image, and likeness. There may be some stuff unfolding about uh, football conferences. There may be some stuff unfolding just about restructuring and you know how much autonomy or, or how much leeway that institutions have compared to conferences and compared to the national level. So I can't even begin to say where college sports is going to go. <laughs> um, all I hope is that. I'm still enjoying it with all the changes, you know, that go on and I'm typically a positive person. So I will, but I I think with all the changes, I just really hope that the amazing people that I've been able to work with and get to know, um, in sports, regardless of school that they're at, I hope that they stick through that process. Um, past couple of years, you've had a lot of people who have left sports for various reasons. A lot of athletic directors who, um, you know, have sunsetted into essentially different careers, Um, what am I most excited for this next academic year? And I, and I hope I'm truly not jinxing the world, but um, I am hoping for a pre pandemic like academic year where we can have, you know, all of our events be in person where, you know, we can bond over a cup of coffee and just sit in the union and and be able to relax and talk about the human elements of who we are. Um, I know my life has been very packed the past couple of years because of my responsibilities and, helping lead our athletic department and and student athletes, coaches, et cetera, through COVID. So what I am actually looking forward to is hopefully more time to engage in the aspects of our work that actually mean the most, which at the end of the day is relationships and getting to know people on individual levels, as opposed to living behind a to-do list, you know, 24-7 for things that need to get done. So I'm I'm really hoping there's going to be more time for relationships and then I'm able to make that time for relationships.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's huge. I think uh, we're all getting ready for the biggest season ever. Uh, as we've seen, you know, sports has trended up uh, since, you know, since we've been able to get back. And fans and we have get to back in person, you know, I've seen it on the youth side with tourism. And I think, you know, even on the professional side with attendance, I think we're all headed in a positive direction with how sports can continue to grow and continue to create memories for generations to come. I love it. (laughs) So Ashley, it's been a pleasure having you on this evening. I'm sure we could go on and on. If people wanna get a hold of you, talk with you about your story, What's the best way to get t- to do that?
1: Yeah, great question. It's, it's been a pleasure to you know chat with you two tonight. Um, I think best way is probably LinkedIn. One, it's going to uh, cause people to actually create a LinkedIn and take that step in their uh, professional future. Um, but LinkedIn's an easy way. Um, also, they can reach me at ashleystone at oakland.edu, which is my work email address.
0: Nice, nice. And if you want a green bandana, which I'm going to fill out, You can email, it's C-H-E-I-L-E-M-A-N at oakland.edu. Perfect. Uh, So send an email, fill out a form, and you can have a green bandana sent to you in the mail. Love it. (laughs) So I love it, Ashley. Again, it's been a pleasure. I thank you so much. And we'll have to do this again sometime.
1: I'm in. Thanks, Adam.